you, you said that they, what'd you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait, wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them, until they're so old and broken down that they, do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. Hello, listening people. Ho, ho, ho. Okay, you're calling me a ho, ho, ho straight off the bat. Wow, Bartek, my name's Ryan, but you can call me whatever you like, I guess. I guess it's the holiday spirits time in which you Holiday. Oh, right, yes. right. My last name's actually Slewinski, but that's fine. Ho Lewinsky. <laughs> <laughs> so we are spitting Polish, likely because we're always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish. And it is the holiday times. It is that time of year in which we talk about a festive type of movie for our movie discussion podcast. Bartek, our show, Pictures Power, makes it that we have to decide a movie that has come recommended. You this year have fallen on to the Christmas movie slash holiday film, and what one have you picked for us to get into this week? Yes, after so many years, I have finally broken my streak of not watching It's a Wonderful Life to watch it for the first time and recommend it for the show. Yeah, and can we talk about how you almost didn't recommend it, uh, <laughs> and how I had to remind you that you brought it up on the pod before? Yes. So what was what was the story there, Bartek? So I believe last year, because uh, mm-hmm. I've had it be a running thing mm-hmm. ever since like our first year of doing the show, that I have this copy of It's a Wonderful Life, and I still hadn't unwrapped it from the plastic sleeve that it came in, Yeah, the wrapping. Um... And I guess last year, I didn't actually double check this, but last year I guess I said that I would pick it this year? You, yeah, in a in a manner of speaking, I said uh, it was my choice last year. You, you, you chose Tokyo Godfathers, then I chose Jingle All The Way, mm-hmm. and I made a big deal like, oh, I'm picking a movie, a Christmas movie that we all know and love that I know you for a fact haven't actually seen Bartek, and you were like, ho, 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 you're finally choosing It's a Wonderful Life. I can't wait to discuss it. And I'm like, no. Oh, I said that. No, no, I'm doing Jingle All The Way. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll have to do It's a Wonderful Life next year. And since next year is now, and you are the one who falls on the Christmas time, you have to choose It's a Wonderful Life. And here we are. You just said it. You haven't even, you hadn't watched it before. You hadn't even unwrapped your DVD of it. So this year was the Christmas experience of a lifetime. 2020, a year of absolute sorrow and woe. And here we are going to to cap it off pretty much with a a Christmas classic, dare I say. Mm -hmm. Well, Bartek, I have seen this movie before. What? I know, I know, it's a shock. So I don't have that cool history that you do. I, I, like most people, saw it on television at some point, and it's just always kind of on, and I've seen it a billion times. Uh, As you know, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of older Hollywood than you are. I've seen more of it, and I've seen more of Jimmy Stewart 
We talked about that in our Harvey episode. You really haven't seen much, if anything, of Jimmy Stewart's um, filmography. Mm-hmm. Maybe a Hitchcock here or there, but really nothing of his more wholesome appeal aspect, the, the more iconic uh, imagery of Jimmy Stewart, which is this movie practically. What I'm saying is you haven't, you, you just never seen this movie. So yeah. <laughs> you've never seen Jimmy Stewart at his best. Yeah, so this year I've seen Harvey and I've seen this now. Yeah, I mean, what's the next Jimmy Stewart one we've got to add into your Infinity Gauntlet? (laughs) So, a Philadelphia story, I guess. So, we'll go there. But, uh, so yeah, I had seen this movie before. Uh, For the listening people, if you have not seen this movie, we're going to be talking about it in depth with spoilers. So, this is your chance. Go off, go see it. It's it's available to watch. It's It's just one of those movies where... Just go see it. We're going to talk about it. Even Bartek knows that this is one of those movies that's so iconic that without having seen it, you've kind of seen it because it's been referenced and regurgitated throughout all of pop culture. Yeah, that's why I bought it. I was like, oh, I've seen, like, not parodies, but like, you know... Rip-offs, adaptations, adaptations. Plot, plot takes of it. This is the modern equivalent of a, um, a Christmas Carol. Basically, mm-hmm. right? Where it's one of those classic stories that has just been done time and time and time again. Where it's you could say it's lost some of its original meaning, but really, we'll talk about that with the actual movie. I want to discuss straight off the bat, Bartek. I just want to get this out of the way. How distracting was it for you watching this movie and being reminded that that '70s show did this for a whole entire episode? Yeah, when I said that um, I bought it because I knew of the plot, that was one of the things that I have seen of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it was distracting, it was just one of the examples I went to in my head. Well, I'm being comedic, of course, it's just that one has, who was the angel in that? It was Wayne Knight, wasn't it? Yep, (laughs) he was the Clarence type. Yep. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up because you and I have talked about our love and our appreciation and our viewership of that 70s show on the pod frequently. And it would be, I'd be remiss if we did not just acknowledge the fact that, yes, both Bartek and I have seen the That 70s Show version of this story before actually seeing this. Mm-hmm. And when I watch it, there is a little part of me that is reminded, oh yeah, That 70s Show did this, or It's um, Married with Children did this, but with Sam Kinison as the angel. And... It is a Rugrats did it even. Rugrats did it even, and yeah, everyone's everyone's had a go on it. So, what did you think? I enjoyed it very much. Shocking, shock, shock, <laughs> shock, 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 shock. <laughs> yeah, it was a really great time. I was surprised at the fact that it was over two hours long. It was a very, mm-hmm. it's a very meaty film. That moves, moves by pretty quickly. Though. It moves by quickly, but it has a lot going on. And I'm sure this is a common experience for people that haven't seen it and, like, watch it for the first time Mm. after, um, you know, being familiar with it in other parts of pop culture, uh, osmosis, as we say. Mm. Um, I was a bit surprised that it took the film quite a long time to actually get to the part where the angel meets the main character and, like, shows him life without having been born. Yeah. You mean the thing that everyone takes from the movie? The thing that only happens in the third act? Of the movie? Yeah, last quarter even. <laughs> yeah, in the last half hour, practically. Yeah, uh, I knew you were going to be thrown off by that in a way, because <laughs> that's what 
everyone remembers this movie for, right? The I wish I hadn't been born and the angel gets its wings. Yeah, the, and the fantasy part of it. The fantasy part of it. The, the moral lesson part of the movie. But the whole movie is actually a sad, depressing... Just, we're watching Jimmy Stewart just just be wrung out over and over again. Mm. Throughout the course of, like, nearly, like, at that point, nearly two hours, like an hour and 50 minutes of just watching him just get pulverized into the dirt <laughs> again and again. Like, I'm going to go off to college. No, you're not. When the film began <laughs> and, um, you know, Clarence was talking to the head angel guy. Yeah, yeah. And the angel was like, all right, pay attention to this because you'll need to refer to it later. I'm like, okay, he's going to give him a little bit of information before <laughs> the movie begins. And then it's the majority of the movie. It's the whole movie. It's the whole movie, yeah. Um, yeah, that's very confronting because you're expecting, okay, we're going to get a little bit and then the whole movie will be, oh, my life and how I've impacted people. But it is all of it is just we are watching him grow up and live his life and suffer the hardships and uh, be very humble and very... uh, egocentric as well and go through all these highs and lows but the constant throughout all of it that we see throughout the movie until we reach Clarence is that overwhelming sense of depression that life brings on of failed potential because he had all of these dreams and ambitions and things he wants to do but life just finds a way of stopping him from achieving any of them any of them yeah, and in a lot of cases, it's his own morals. Like, he had the mm-hmm. decision to go with what he wanted, but he chose not to. Yeah, he chose the high ground. And as we know from Star Wars, <laughs> <laughs> if you, you have ha- to give up because they have the high ground. <laughs> well, if you have the high ground, you're not the one that's going to die at the end, right? No, but you're going to live in exile for another 30 years. <laughs> so Until a few decades later when you get a TV show. Yeah, yeah until Ewan McGregor gets his Disney Plus show, yeah. Um... Yeah, so you enjoyed the film. Um, tell me more about you, your your viewing of this uh, and how it all went for you. I'm very keen. This is like you said, you haven't seen this before, so you I had haven't. your 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 understanding of what it was going to be, and then Ryan Johnson, you it subverted that. Yes, it told me you will learn about banks. <laughs> you will yeah. see lots of things about banks. Um, yeah, yeah I, when this film was ending. Uh, I, w- I watch movies for the podcast in my room, mm-hmm. uh, off my computer. So when this film ended, uh, mm-hmm. I had a weird little bit of whiplash where, you know, I turned off Windows Media Play, I took the DVD out, and on my screen was, you know, my Facebook browser was open. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, I am now out of the 1940s and I'm into the 2020s. Um, wow. So it showed me that, like, oh, I was really invested in this film Wow, yeah. yeah. Like that I mean, you know, I haven't even thought about it like that when I watch some of these movies like I've uh, never really had it happen, but yeah. I I do in some ways, but I guess I just take it for granted. Uh you know, when I watch a Humphrey Bogart movie, I'm just there. Um this movie I didn't have that as strongly. I guess in minor ways I kind of more noted just technical things that we just don't do anymore and some of the technical missteps of the movie, just some weird abrupt cuts and whatever that you wouldn't see in a movie now, mm. that that kind of thing. But this movie is very engrossing. You will really get into his life and really understand the headspace of our main character. 
with also the understanding that there's going to be there's some overwhelming looming threat over our main character because the movie opens up with everyone praying on behalf of him yeah. and the context is of this angel who's a little star at the beginning, who's a fuck-up loser that nobody likes, um, Clarence, who <laughs> has been so bad he hasn't got his wings in 200 years and it's treated like a joke, um, is just being dispensed. Oh, this guy um, is going to kill himself. Uh, you got to stop that from happening. And then the whole movie is just the events leading up to the the pushing point, He's the breaking point of why this nice guy Jimmy Stewart character wants to end his life. Uh, and that's always kind of just lingering in your brain just a little bit. Sometimes you'll forget about it because the movie's just like, ah, oh, Jimmy Stewart. Here he is pretending to be an 18-year-old. <laughs> oh, what a fun time. And he's not giving her her robe. Oh, how fun. And then the movie will have something like Mr. Potter. He's just like, your dad was a loser and I'm alive, so fuck you. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. This movie's about someone who's going to kill themselves. Yeah. Or someone's going to need help. Someone's going to need help. Divine help. (laughs) Yeah, divine help. So, yeah, so you got really sucked into into the world of the movie. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, when when it began and it said, like, okay, pay attention because this is going to be related to later, um, I was already noting all the, like, things that were happening because Mm. I thought, like, okay, we're going to go over all this information again. Uh, so with that strong level of focus over a period of like an hour and a half, yeah, I was just mm. connecting everything like, oh, okay, I can see these elements are going to lead to this depression, this idea that he doesn't want to live anymore or, mm. or, or well, I, I, I the knew burdens that, of life, the burdens of life that he wished that he'd never lived at all rather. Yeah. I, one of the things I really appreciate about the movie is with a lot of these type of movies where you're watching a whole entire character's, you know, life practically, you're watching them age in front of you. Definitely his adulthood, yeah. Yeah, definitely his adulthood. But, you know, the film starts out with him being a kid and he makes yep. several important decisions when he was a child and we could see other characters when they were younger, like the other children who eventually wanted is his wife. And then there's like the town whore and, <laughs> and you know, Sam is there and you get, or he's mentioned at least when they were kids and the brother and you get all of those. And then obviously the adult characters, like, you know, his dad being an important figure who's only really in like what, five minutes of the movie. If that, Oh yeah. If that, <laughs> but his dad, and this is what I mean is this film does a really great job at making these little details like him being deaf in one ear and really expanding upon them and making it feel like this is a real world with real people, even with this mystical divine element that is presented at the very beginning of the movie. Just little things like Sam making fun of the fact that he's deaf by doing the donkey thing with his hand and and all that. And at first it's a it's an insulting bullying thing because he doesn't like him very much because he's pining after the girl he wants and then it just becomes a thing that he does and then it goes beyond just a petty insult to just a cute little thing he does and mm-hmm. little details like that and like i said uh the dad he's only in 5 minutes of the movie if that and yet you feel the massive shadow that that character leaves throughout the whole movie because He's the reason why Jimmy Stewart has to stay. The fact that he's no longer around. And we don't get to know him very much, but we know that 
everyone in that family respected that dad because he had ideals. Yeah, and in the two scenes we see of him, him at work and him at the dinner Mm. table, you know that, like, okay, Jimmy Stewart is going to take on aspects of the character that we are seeing in these two settings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and even though the uncle character, for instance, uh, Uncle Billy, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Even though he's in the movie far more prevalently, the father leaves a far bigger impact in terms of the story because he really is, he really affects Jimmy Stewart, right? He really affects all of those characters and his loss very early on is the tipping point to, uh, you know, all of the despair opening up as the movie goes on and all of the joys and hopes as well because this isn't just a depressing movie. I mean, it is very depressing, (laughs) It's, yeah, all the depressing stuff is uh, layered in the fact that the main character is making sacrifices so that other people can be happy. Yes, it is self-sacrifice. Yeah. He is sacrificing all of these things in the needs of others. Um, What were some of these little details or little, little touches that you appreciated in the movie? that helped add to that overwhelming sense of you feeling that this is, like, you're being transported right there? Uh, yeah, going back to the whole world-building thing, the fact that we have a bunch of characters who constantly keep reappearing. Mm-hmm. Like, we have the the Italian guy that owns the bar, yeah. we have the cop, we have the taxi driver, mm. they have... The old druggist. The Yes, the, the pharmacist guy. No, no, druggist. Druggist. <laughs> Never forget that they were all druggists. And um and they have scenes where they are sometimes more significant, sometimes less. Like the taxi mm. driver, they bring up the fact that um he he had his papers for the loan, and they yeah. talked about him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then in other scenes, he's just there. Yeah. So you get like these two levels: the police officer, you see him at work sometimes, and then sometimes he's the one you know singing on the honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just really building this sense of community, so that in the climax, when everyone comes to help him, it is this very triumphant thing. But even before that, even when he is in the midst of his depression, like when he's at the bar and he gets punched out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though this is meant to be him in like his lowest moment, and he deserves being punched out, we as the audience know that he brought that onto himself in a way. Yes, yes. But even in that moment where he's at his lowest, you can still see that everyone really likes him and are on his side. It's just that they yeah. currently do not have the means to you know make him happy. No. And in an, I guess in a more darker, maybe more mean spirited film a scene like that one at the bar where they back him up might just have them be a bit more, you know, in the background because, oh, that would, that would you know, clash with the tone that we're going for. He's in his darkest moment. So you have that bit of optimism there even in the dark moment. And it works too because we know, we feel like we know each one of those characters in that bar. And because we've met them in some way, shape, form, or we know... Even if we ever met them, we know that their lives have been affected for the good because of him. He's given them homes, he's he's helped them out with money, so when he gets punched out and he's on the floor and people gather around and want to help him, it, uh, uh, it feels genuine, it doesn't feel saccharine, it doesn't feel forced or phony, mm. because since we are watching this guy's life, we have an understanding of how much he has affected everyone around him because of his self-sacrifice and because of his morals and values and that he's not a money-hungry driven person like Mr. Potter and 
a moment like that, yeah, it, it, you know, it really does add up. The things add up. Yeah, even even if they were think, even if they were thinking in that moment, like, oh yeah, he deserved to get punched because of some reasons. Like, I still yeah. like the guy. Well, yeah, I mean, he's Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did I mean we've got to say it that 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 that's the gold in the movie, right? It's Jimmy Stewart. I mean, you can't not like the guy. I mean, I've seen him play despicable characters. I've talked about this before, but he may he you know he's he has a big legacy in film, and one of them is he was he was on a west, and he he was the bad guy, and it's iconic for breaking the rules of the poster is of the good guy being punched in the face by the bad guy Jimmy Stewart, and usually it's the other way around, but because it was that type of western, and it's Jimmy Stewart being the villain, and he was really good at it, but most of the time we associate Jimmy Stewart with being. The wholesome, nice, just radiates charm and old school charm. That really kind, gentle guy. And uh, the modern Jimmy Stewart is like Tom Hanks, right? That's who our equivalency is in the modern age. Yeah, I think so. Really great actors. They can play scumbags if they want, but we will forever associate them with their more upbeat, positive roles. Jimmy Stewart will always be associated with this movie, right? In some way, shape, or form. And... For people our age, and maybe for most people, Tom Hanks will will be Woody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, be, yes. He'll be Woody. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Tom. You'll forever be Woody. I know you've won Oscars <laughs> for not Woody. But he'll, be, he'll forever be Woody. In Borat too, he was just himself. He was just himself. But, uh, well, is there a difference between him and Woody, really? <laughs> well, they have the same voice. Exactly. Or is that just his brother, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> Only in the toys. And the video games. And the video games, yes. Pretty much anything that isn't the movies, anything that his is his brother. <laughs> anything that isn't a tied, uh, numbered movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think these little details, but uh, Jimmy Stewart, he's someone that you've now seen twice this year. Mm-hmm. How was he for you and his effect as an actor? Yeah, I really liked him in this film, I think maybe even a bit more than in Harvey. Yeah. Like in Harvey, yeah, he was incredibly pleasant, you know, very mm. kind. He, like you said, it's the kind of person that we should aspire to be, because if we're all like the, him, maybe the world would be a bit of a better place. Yeah. This one, I feel, was a little bit more realistic. Like, he was still a very nice guy, you mm. know, strong morals. He made self-sacrifices. But you saw the effects that that had on him, the the negatives. Yeah. And even in spite of all that, in the end, he is able to look past all that and just be, you know, happy with his decisions that he made. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, Harvey in this movie, very different types Mm -hmm. of movies, but it is demonstrating the varying shades of um, kind characters he could play, like very nice, wholesome, kind characters. Harvey, very different. You know, it, it's far more whimsical. His character doesn't need an arc. Yeah. And it's about the other characters. That it's one, far more of a comedy, too. Far more of a comedy. And that movie, very similar in one way to this, is it's his character affects the other characters. Mm-hmm. While in this one, it's his character affects the other characters, but it's still about him. While in Harvey, he, although he, you could say he is the main character of that movie... He's also kind of not. He kind yeah. of serves as the catalyst for other characters' journeys throughout the movie. Yeah, it's so, this is sort of all like, about him. Yeah, that one's sort of, I guess you could call it like an, an ensemble where he is the heart. Yeah, yeah, where he's the 
um, where he's the yeah the heart is a great way to describe it. Uh, the 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 inciting incident for each one of them yes. in some way. The inciting heart. The inciting heart. The 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 force. Uh, <laughs> the high ground. Yes, high ground uh, force. But I ask this because Jimmy Stewart, he's very of that time, actor wise, and some people get thrown off by when we go back in time and watch movies and, you know, people speak like this, see? And Jimmy Stewart has his very specific way of speaking and acting and he's very 1940s, 1950s type actor man. And, you know, he talks like this, I want to live! And that could throw people off, but obviously he still has a legacy, he still carries on, and I was just curious of what parts of that were were present for you as someone who hasn't really seen much of his work? What about his presence really hooks you in, even if he still does have that kind of very of the then time period acting, which is a little bit alien to some modern audiences of our age in particular as well? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something I'm aware of, but not too familiar with. Um, I think it really works for him here because there are so many moments where even if... It sounds different from what I'm used to. Mm. He adds something to his performance that makes it sound really genuine. And I noticed yeah. that in the trivia on IMDb, they mentioned mm. numerous moments in the film where he had genuine reactions. Like when yeah. his, I think it was his uncle, ran into something as he was drunkenly walking away and he like genuinely laughed because it was like a set mistake. Yeah, it was like offset. Yeah. A prop guy accidentally dropped a bunch of things just in time. Yeah. Like it, just in the right moment accidentally. Yep. And, and Jimmy Stewart found that genuinely funny and the actor playing the uncle improvised on the spot. Oh, I'm all right kind of thing. Yeah, so a happy accident leading to Jimmy's performance. And then there was also one where one of the ladies asked for 1750, which was a number he wasn't expecting. And like, he jumped on that and like kissed her and like 750. Oh, I love you. or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's putting his all into it. And I guess if you do want to say that there is a sort of simplicity to, uh, acting of that time, you can also say that there's a comprehensibility there. So it's not like, what is, yeah. what is he doing? What is he doing? We know how he feels it. And it feels, you know, good to watch and engaging. I think with Jimmy Stewart in comparison to some other actors of that time period, like I love Humphrey Bogart, right? Humphrey Bogart, Humphrey Bogart is very of that time, you know, the way he speaks, and, yeah. you know, Edward G. Robinson, and they're, they're very parodied, and Jimmy Stewart has that too, he has that draw, see? And what, what I think works about him in comparison to those other ones are, and I love Humphrey, like I said, I love Peter Laurie, Sidney Greenstreet, he has that warmth that transcends beyond to the point in which whatever kind of stiffness or coldness that you could feel from those other performers of this time period doesn't exist as strongly, if at all, with Jimmy Stewart because he just emanates off the screen warmth. In a movie where it's snowing for the whole entire time, you don't feel that it's a cold movie, like you don't feel yeah. like you know. Some movies you get that sensory feeling, like ooh, like because Jimmy Stewart is just like, oh, here I am, I'm running around, and he's just so yeah, he's just such a warm performer that he radiates that off the screen, and we see that with a lot of actors still today, like like I said, Tom Hanks, yeah, he 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 does that too, um, he does that very effectively, and there are just some actors that that's their natural abilities, and others have different types of abilities, and. 
they will some of them will just transcend the time period of the movies that they were made even if the movies themselves are dated some performances will forever ring true as time passes on like i love taxi driver but taxi driver is a kind of dated movie filmmaking wise but robert de niro's performance at the center of that will remain timeless mm-hmm and same with Michael Douglas in Falling Down, for instance, right? That movie's very of its time. But Michael Douglas in that movie, he has this energy he brings in. And those are very different extremes to what Jimmy Stewart's doing in this. But Jimmy Stewart has a kind of energy that just will f- remain timeless. And hence, this movie still carries on, even though it's from the 1940s. Yeah. People still watch this movie all of these decades later. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that. It's like seventy something years almost at this point. Mm. And uh, you know, even though probably all of the adult actors in this film are no longer with us, yeah. I'd imagine, uh, their legacy has remained in our present and even for me, just on my D V D shelf, I haven't mm. been touching it, but it's been there waiting and Yeah. You know, did you have a... Okay, so we talked about things that you weren't expecting. What were what some genuine surprises in the narrative that just came at you? Because, like we said, you, you knew the the end of the movie, but the journey leading to it... Uh... I knew the, yeah, the general idea of what's going to happen. I didn't know mm. the specifics. Um, I didn't know that we were going to have, like, an antagonist figure. <laughs> Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter. <laughs> Pottersville. Yeah, um, he was... He was an entertaining villain, very Wasn't capitalist. He? Wasn't he? He was great. <laughs> yeah, he was. Just very scummy, but like, kind of has that like scummy charisma at times. Where he, he, has like, a, he has the logic. Yeah, logic. He eloquently explains all his points, and he has his flowery language and like cutting yeah. right to the meat of the matter. And even just like the slightest bit of like courtesy just the slightest bit like you know this man has died god rest his soul but he sucked as a businessman (laughs) (laughs) again it's these little details because there's even this moment in which he finds out that he has the money yeah and his instinct immediately was okay no no i've got to give it back i've got to wheel wheel me out and then he decides wait 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 okay and he lets it play out right he decides in any other movie, that little detail would have just been swept away and he would have opened up the thing and he would have went, oh, oh, and he would have decided then and there. Mm. But it showed you a little detail that even someone as scummy as him who does get away with that at the end of the movie, he never gets any consequences. He gets to continue on. Yeah, the last time we see him, he's like, oh, I hope you're out in jail. <laughs> yeah, he's a terrible person. But that little moment shows that even he has a microbe of morality within him but he just decided not to go with it but again another movie that little detail would have been non-existent no yeah for sure when when i when i saw that he noticed he had the money i was actually wondering like oh what is he actually going to do like Mm -hmm. is this something that he is above or is this something that he's below and he does kind of meet that halfway point he goes to check and see like oh is this guy looking for money that he's lost yeah and then he decides you know what fuck him (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you weren't expecting an antagonist like an actual person sitting there in an old wheelchair that like a giant chair and he's just (laughs) like man fuck you i hate you yeah i mean i guess i guess it's unavoidable to also say that like because i wasn't expecting the parts before the angel appears to be so long that i wasn't expecting such a huge well established Mm. cast so it's it's a small part of a bigger thing um Mm. but yeah definitely an antagonist figure that's something that i wasn't aware of 
I love in movies like this, the little things that build up as annoyances for our characters. The the iconic being that on his stairwell he has the, what do you call it, the knob at the end yeah. of the stairwell that just is not screwed in. It just is just placed there, and just how they keep building that up, and like he never hits that moment where he throws it. Right, he he's tempted, but then he's like, no, 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 puts it back down. And then he does the Citizen Kane thing later where he like kicks up everything in the lounge room and he's like yelling. Mm-hmm. But I, I love in these type of things, you have just these little things. Like they keep building up that the uncle's a dumbass. Yeah. And he has these birds, these pet birds that he keeps around. Yeah, and, and a squirrel. And a squirrel. And people kind of just don't respect him at all, but he's somewhat competent at his job and he was there at the beginning and then in the alternative world, it's like, oh yeah, once the business failed, he just went to the insane asylum because he he failed and he was he went insane and um and you go, yeah, yeah he didn't have his yeah. brother slash nephew who are to, more competent to like to hold him up to hold him up yeah, and I like those things and obviously the town she's not I mean. She's kind of the town whore uh, the the yeah the the, the blonde. <laughs> The attractive single lady who likes the main character, but the main character won't get with her. Yeah, and I liked her and how they kept building her up from when she was a kid to an adult. And, you know, her at the end is like, I decided not to move. I just like being here. And you're like, oh, she's just going to continue on flirting with him. Mm. (laughs) Like, that's what I get out of that. Like, even though everything's happening, I'm like, that's just who she is. She can't leave. Mm. She's got to see him. Or, And I like all all of that stuff. Um... What about his brother? A Harry, big, yeah. big part of the movie is that his brother goes to the war. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go to the war, actually, but he doesn't because he's deaf in one ear, you see, so he can't go. Um, and his brother goes to the war and he saves a bunch of people's lives. And then when the story's playing out with Clarence, it's like, well, you see, your brother, he died, so all of those people died. So, yeah, pretty pretty brutal, huh? Mm. Yeah, I think that might have been, for me, the saddest moment in the film, where he goes to his brother's grave in the alternate world. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? That was the saddest I one. think so, yeah. Because th- that mm. was one of the first things you see. Like, he saves his brother from that incident, and then they mm. get along the whole time. And, you know, I'm an older brother, so seeing him mm. care for his younger brother in these ways, making sacrifices, you know, that kind of touched my heart. And mm. then just his fate in the alternate world was, well, you weren't there in that first thing, so all of the things that you saw happen throughout the movie simply never got to happen. Did you find it an interesting choice that we never actually got to see Potter in the alternative world? We got to see what he's done, but we never actually got... We, I don't think we ever actually got to see him. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. Yeah. We saw what he's done, but we, can, we don't see him. We can imagine what he's like, yeah. He's the same. Yeah. <laughs> it, it took us until, I guess, Back to the Future Part 2 to see what that kind of character would be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, And I also like Sam, the bartender, who's like in charge of the bar instead of Martini, and he's like a jerk, just an outright arsehole, and it's like, see, if you weren't here, he wouldn't be a nice guy. He's like, I'm okay. <laughs> like... That's how impactful Jimmy Stewart's kindness is. Yeah, they they really drive home like, oh, people would be really shit if not for you. Yeah, I mean, what hits me hard, I mean, the brother one is harder, but the first thing he really kind of hits him is when he sees his old boss who's like this drunken homeless man who everyone like belittles. Oh, the, the druggist. The druggist, because, well, 20 years ago he poisoned a kid, so... 
He just got out of jail, yeah. Fuck him, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, but I remember why he did that accidentally, because he was distressed about his child dying from influenza. Mm. Yeah, speaking of which, we're doing this show in 2020. I wasn't expecting it to have a reference to the other pandemic. Oh, yeah, how fun was that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? Oh, I mean, this is the movie with the famous uh, Bruce Almighty moment. Lasso the Moon. Oh, right, yeah. How did you feel about that? When that popped up, that's like one of the, like, obviously Bruce Almighty, that's the reference point that we may have, but that's like a big iconic scene that I often forget is from this movie. Because when I think of this movie, I I do for some reason forget about that a large part of it is a romance movie of him wooing her mm-hmm. and not wooing her because he's too ignorant to know that she wants him. And that's like one of the most iconic, if anything, when I think of old school Hollywood romance that scene's always one of the top ones. Oh, you know, there's a moon, I'll lasso it for you, and all that. Yeah, it was, it was something I'm vaguely aware of in the back of my head, but when it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I've heard this phrase before, so that's this. You didn't remember Bruce Almighty? <laughs> I've only seen it once. Oh, really? Yeah. Should we do it on the pod? Uh, yeah, maybe, because I've seen Evan Almighty twice. <laughs> no, three times if we count on the pod. <laughs> You're one of the few people who've seen Evan Almighty more than Bruce. I saw it in... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I saw it one time myself, one time for the pod, one time on the pod. Right, there you go. Um, uh, Let's talk about Potter. I love him. I love him. I have some interesting facts about the actor. Yes. He is... Uh, His last name's Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Because he's the great uncle of Drew Barrymore. Because Drew Barrymore is from Hollywood royalty, let's not forget she's right, a part of the Barrymores. Right. Uh, she, she. I know Drew Barrymore doesn't have connections with her parents anymore. Like at a very young age, she kind of separated off from them and made her own production company. But that's her great uncle. Um, he was genuinely in a wheelchair. He had like arthritis or something. So from the thirties onwards, he's in a wheelchair. Yeah, that was in the trivia. He had arthritis. So he's one of the few actors of this, you know, of the golden age Hollywood. That was actually given work and actually accommodated his disability. And they wrote roles with that in mind. So isn't that interesting to think about? Hmm. Um, He played Ebenezer Scrooge on the radio for 20 years. He only missed it on two occasions. One because his wife died, so his brother played it that year. And another because I think... A theatrical version of the movie came out, and they got the actor from that to do it on the radio thing, but he still played it for 20 years, just not 20 years in a row. Okay, I didn't know the 20 years part. Isn't that cool? Yeah. He's Ebenezer Scrooge for a lot of people. If you're, you know, if you grew up in that period and you know your radio plays, that, that, that. And the one that fascinates me the most, because I always find this interesting with old school Hollywood people, that they invent amazing pieces of technology, like Hedy Lamarr was one of the people who invented Wi-Fi, which is crazy. And I can't remember, Jerry Lewis invented some random thing for the camera, like some kind of lens or processing. Oh, yeah, you told processing. me this. Yeah. This guy invented the boom mic. Really? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? He invented what is probably one of the most, uh, most um, needed forms of um, recording audio in yeah. any form of the medium that is visual, yeah. whether it be TV, movie, whatever. The most needed slash the funniest to accidentally see for yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? I was looking him up on IMDb because I was like, ah, oh, who is this guy? I'm pretty sure I know of him. And I'm like, oh, Barrymore. Well, he must be a Barrymore. And then he is. And then it's just like in his trivia, it's like, yeah, he invented the boom mic. Isn't that crazy? So... <laughs> I guess 
you know, Mr. Potter, not a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, because I didn't know that he existed when he appeared. I'm like, oh, there's this kind of like Scrooge character in this film. So when I found out that he played Scrooge, I'm like, well, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I think they did a great job without overstating it. Like, I love Citizen Kane, but Citizen Kane hits a little harder with this is... It does a really great job, this film, of showing the characters aging without it being as obvious with the aging makeup. Like, mm-hmm. you see early on that uh, Mr. Potter looks a bit younger, he has a bit more hair, yep. and by the end, you can see he's a lot. he is older, even though the guy's an old guy to begin with. And Jimmy Stewart as well, like, by the end, you see he's got some white in his hair, he's kind of receding, of, you know, he's kind of more... Yeah, he goes scraggled. from young adult to just middle-aged. Yeah, know? and without overstating the makeup and the kind of clothing that they wear, you do note, you know, they, they, he has gotten older as the movie's gone on. Mm. Meanwhile, his wife, <laughs> she looks practically the same. She was like 25. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with um, with Potter, definitely I noticed like visually they subtly changed him. With Jimmy Stewart, it was more like his demeanor. Yeah, and his hair. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Because you know Jimmy Stewart's young when he has really slicked hair and he's wearing like a, a, a college sweater or high school sweater <laughs> with a H on it. Reminds me very much of Bob Hope and Son of Paleface, where he's trying to be young, uh, somewhat young, and he's like wearing a Harvard outfit, and his hair's all slicked up, and he's like, "I'm a young guy." He's like, "No, you're not. <laughs> I'm wearing a mortarboard." <laughs> it's like, okay, you're still like a forty-year-old man. <laughs> yes, this was the back in the era where forty-year-old men play teenagers. Why not? Has that ended? Has that ended? I've seen Thirteen Reasons Why, <laughs> where Bryce oh, is right. like a thirty-five-year-old man and he's playing a seventeen-year-old. Are you kidding? Jimmy Stewart was only thirty-seven. <laughs> it's funny because you haven't actually seen Thirteen Reasons Why. I know why. of it. I've yeah. seen clips of that guy. Yeah, um, same. What else do you want to discuss about this movie? It's iconic. Um, do you want to talk about Clarence? We can talk about Clarence, yeah. What did you think of Clarence? Because there's an understanding of what Clarence is, but the movie mm. doesn't give you Clarence until very late into the movie. And did he live up to what you were expecting of him from pop culture osmosis? Yeah, they really... Like, you you heard his voice throughout the first, like, two hours of the film a lot. Um, and then he just kind of pops in there when mm. it's his time to step in. And it's like, oh, who is this guy? Yeah. And it gives this really really interesting impression of him, I guess, because we, mm-hmm. we are getting an understanding of who this character is as the film goes on. And then when we expect him to appear, we expect it to be like a smooth transition kind of thing. But no, it's very sudden. And he jumps off a bridge and <laughs> it gives you this impression of like, oh, this this is what this guy looks like. He, he looks fairly old for a 200-year-old. Um, yeah, I like that little detail he said of like, oh, I haven't, I, yeah, I wore these clothes when I died. <laughs> Just that little detail. Yeah, and how he, he's very matter of fact about everything and just constantly reminding Jimmy Stewart of like, no, this is this. It's like, he's always given him all the information he needs, but he has to keep reinforcing it, but he never like gets impatient or anything. It's just like, you, you, you weren't born like this. <laughs> And I like his little, like, moments where he talks to the other angels and we can't hear him. Yeah, and he, yeah, like, yeah, reacts. Yeah. Those were fun. No, I didn't drink. <laughs> um, you know a bit more about biblically things and mythos than I do. Is it often a thing that dead, like, humans 
can die and then become angels because that's kind of what the rules were with him, right? He's like, I didn't wear, I haven't worn these clothes since I died. I think there were. I think is that a thing? Said. Usually, I'm more familiar with just there are angels. God just has them around. That's that's what I thought as well. Yeah, but he is a second class yeah. angel. He <laughs> I, doesn't even have wings. Yeah, maybe. I think the class thing might be, you know, made up for this film because, like, Angel, I think the hierarchy... There which, is a hierarchy. Yes, and in the Michael episode, we got very wrong about it. Yeah, Archangels are really low. <laughs> yeah, like, second lowest instead of second I highest. I thought they were, like, big dogs. No, but I know that the hierarchy of nine, they're, like, separated into, like, three. So there's, like, the mm. low, the middle, the high. The high. Um, so I guess maybe he's in the middle. Okay. Maybe. I don't he, know. I mean, he doesn't have wings. He's been at it for 200 years. They, they treat him like he's a loser. Uh... <laughs> From what I understand, a lot of the biblical angels don't necessarily have wings. No, but they make it a big deal that he should have like, wings. I think one of them's like a wheel of fire. Sometimes. I mean, did you like the fact that apparently 45 angels got wings in this movie? If you look up the trivia, because you hear bells ring 45 times or something like that. Yeah, but and they, well, they, it takes a while for them to mention the every time a bell rings thing. Well, he mentions it, doesn't he? Clarence is the one that mentions it. Yeah, it only yeah. turns up when he, it only happens when he turns up. And then the daughter at the end is like, ah, my teacher yeah. references, you know, the one that you hate. <laughs> that's right yes um yeah but but it's the thing is it, it's mentioned for the first time so late in that like you don't really pay attention as much i really like the joke of when they're thrown outside and you hear sam go like sam's clinging on all the registers and he's like oh look at me i'm giving angels their wings boys <laughs> like, I'm just like, and i'm thinking to myself does that count <laughs> yeah, it's like when you overthink something it's like oh so like no 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 a lot of stores like have ring a bell when people enter so yeah but that counts i just find it funny <laughs> that he heard that and said well look at me guys i'm giving angel their wings and i'm just like that they acknowledge how silly it is yeah. by having a character like that in that world be like well fuck you i'm just gonna give angels their wings if that's the rules a bunch of angels should have just entered the bar and like shook his hand like thank you so thank much thank you so much <laughs> i've been waiting 200 years uh yeah um i don't know what else to say it's just a, a cinematic classic it really hits you in the in the gut mm. it's a lot darker of a movie than people may expect it because I think another perception of it is oh it's a Jimmy Stewart movie where the the poster is him embracing his family lovingly and that it's like made for children yeah and it's made for families and it's a sweet natured movie but it's actually like a sad depressing still upbeat and heartfelt but it's it's a very dramatic movie it's a very hefty very philosophical very very emotionally draining there's a part where two characters make violent love to each other Oh yeah, you wanna you wanna mention that? <laughs> I just did. Well, you wanna clarify that? Uh, there's a part where one character is had a uh, violent love made to them, okay, a- and she tells her mother about it while it happens. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was very funny yeah. when when I love the mo- her mother just being like, "What's he doing here? <laughs> Tell him to leave." <laughs> yep. So uh, there's a there's a character in this film. It's the it's oh well the character. It's the it's the wife. Yeah. Um. In the scene just where they're about to get together, um, the mother is yelling like, "Oh, what's he doing here? What are you doing?" And she says to her mother, "He's making violent love to me," which I guess back then was meant to mean like they're doing they're being very romantic with each other, and it's. I thought she was just <laughs> genuinely just trying to be snide to her mother because her mother is a very catty lady who wants her to be with the Sam guy. 
she's even like listening in on their phone call mm. and yeah, I thought that was just her winding her mum up. I mean, it was I, I I did take it as a joke, but I mean like the meaning of violent mm. love. Well, yeah, I mean, he did take that robe off of her in the movie as well. Well, that was an accident. Oh, well, but then he made it not an accident by yeah. not giving it back. <laughs> well, the police will take his side, it's fine. Uh, yeah, no, no, the police will take... I, no, I love... I love... I'll tell your mother, oh, one she's on the way over there. <laughs> <laughs> See, Jimmy Stewart is a very funny... He was a very funny guy. He, yeah. As you saw with Harvey... And see, with even this movie, he had a great comedic sensibility without For sure. making it a comedy necessarily. Because this movie isn't a comedy, but he he has some comedic chops in the movie that is demonstrated. Uh, I guess one of the things I want to ask is, were there some moments in the movie that you like you recognize, but again, you didn't realize that were from this movie? You're like, oh, that's that's from this. Um. I think actually, yeah, the every time a bell rings line, I I know I've heard that somewhere, but I didn't know what it was from. <laughs> what about, I always forget, but for some reason I always remember too, uh, the classic I referenced it before, I want to live again. Clarence, I want to live again. Just like, the way he says it, and then he like, him running down the street saying Merry Christmas, it's just like, oh yeah, that's right, it's wonderful, of course it is. You know, it's one of those mm. ones where you go... Oh, yeah, but of course. Yeah, I kind of remembered those bits as like a sort of general thing to say. I didn't necessarily think about their origins. So when mm. it happened, it's like, oh, this is another thing that this is, that that came from It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all I've really got to say about it. It's a cinematic classic for a good reason. Uh, as I mentioned last week, didn't do the greatest when it came out. Uh, it, it won some Oscars or at least got nominated, but financially it didn't do the greatest. And it kind of its rights kind of got thrown away and it became a TV thing where it just got played on TV and that's kind of the major reason why it stayed and it's grown again into this new form that we recognize it as just a classic. But really, it took an interesting road to become a classic considering what time period this movie was made and the people who made it. Yeah, I was surprised that it's it's literally a cult classic because it found Mm. appreciation way after its initial release. Yeah. Like, when they mentioned, like, oh, it, it gained popularity in the 70s, it just jumped my mind back to, like, oh, so that's, like, another sort of thing that that mm. 70s show was referencing. It's, it's making yeah. references to something of that time, which is both a reference for us and a reference that would be, you know, in the show if they acknowledged mm. it. I remember there was an episode of the Batman animated series, a Christmas one, mm-hmm. where it was a big thing that It's a Wonderful Life wasn't airing that night, and Batman, Bruce Wayne was like, what? You know, it's one of his favorite movies. And then it, like, cut to the Joker, and he's like, hello there, Bats. I know you're going to watch this tonight, but I decided I wanted to have some fun. And it's just, like, Mark <laughs> Hamill being like... Fuck you, Batman. I'm cancelling your favourite movie so you can hear me talk about Christmas. And it's just like, I've pro- what? I've, <laughs> I've probably seen that episode, but I can't quite remember. Yeah, yeah. A Joker's Christmas or something. I can't remember. I, 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 it's been a while since I've watched the animated series, but I just remember yeah. that happening where it's just like, <laughs> I've stopped your favourite movie, Bats. <laughs> the fact that he knows that's his favourite, one of his favourite movies is also a great thing. 
That is, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> he doesn't know about Bruce Wayne. But he knows about bats. <laughs> Apparently Batman's well known enough that you know he likes It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, it's Batman, of course he does. <laughs> Who he doesn't? Li- he's American, yeah. I mean, if it was Christian Bale's Batman, he would he would just walk into the studio and start punching the he'd, Joker. He'd be more into whatever the actual... Trigger. <laughs> he'd be whatever the actual popular film at that time was. Not in 2008? Uh, a Christmas Story? No, I mean like in the 40s when this was released. And it's like, this one was hated, but people love this one. Uh, I loved How Green Was My Valley. It deserved the Oscar over Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah. all Christian fi- Bale's one's a hipster. All films with green in the title deserve Oscars. Oh, of course. Green Hornet. So <laughs> that's an unappreciated masterpiece. Of Seth course. Rogen's Green Hornet and Seth Green deserves an Oscar all the time. Just every year they should give him an honorary Oscar for existing. They should give they him. Should. An, they should give him a retroactive Oscar for for being in Scooby Doo Two: Monsters Unleashed. That was him. I thought it was Will Smith. <laughs> no, it wasn't Will Smith. I know you want it to be, but it wasn't. But you know who the villain was. Marky, Marky Mark, Mark and, and the, the entire Funky Bunch. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Uh, would you recommend this? I would, yes. As someone who hasn't seen it before but had a vague idea that, like, oh, yeah, it'll be good when I watch it, it was a lot better. Did it meet your... I know you don't necessarily have a criteria, but did it did it meet your expectations and standards for Christmas movie? I think... Because I meant we mentioned earlier this episode that I initially didn't pick this for mm. this episode until you reminded me that I mentioned it last year. I found that I haven't really seen all that much Christmas stuff as I expected. It's like I I know all the tropes and conventions of you know Christmas specials and stuff like that, but I just mm. hadn't really seen that many movies. So more TV shows. I guess more TV shows, like yeah. Simpsons and that 70s show. and Blackadder. Blackadder. And there was one that I was going to say, but then you mentioned them and I was like, oh, I forget. Just any sitcom yeah. you've ever watched had their yeah. Christmas episodes. Yeah. It's interesting because this is a very Christmas movie, even though a small portion of it only takes place at Christmas. It just has that overwhelming atmosphere. I guess the Mr. snow. Bean, that was it. What was that? Mr. Bean, that's what I was thinking. Oh, of, of course, Mr. Bean. <laughs> that's the Christmas one with his turkey, right? The big turkey that he butters I, up and he puts it on his head. I think so, point. yeah. The, the I one may- where he also plays with the Dalek and all that. I was going to say, I mainly manger. remember the nativity scene, yeah. I, I swear there's. I swear, one of the Christmas ones is the one where he's prepping the Christmas dinner for his girlfriend when he had one, and I think that's one where he loses his girlfriend. I think he keeps losing her. Yeah, but I think that's like the last time we see her. I think in the in the anime, in not in the live action one. In the anime, yeah. I don't know about the, the Mr. Bean anime. I don't keep I really... up with I don't keep up with the Bean manga or manga. I don't keep up with them. Bean san no densetsu. Oh man! All right, uh, it's my recommendation for the next one. Yes, Bartek, and I don't want to leave the snow drenched atmosphere that this movie had, so I'm gonna pick a snowy film. Mm-hmm. Um, You've already picked the snowman this year. Well, okay. I guess I'm not choosing that again. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now I'm going to choose a movie I also I do believe you have not seen also, but it's one that's been definitely mentioned on the pod. We're returning to the Coen Brothers. We're doing Fargo for cool. the next episode. So stay tuned to listen to that one, people. Enjoy your holidays and the end of 2020. Hopefully, it goes away quickly. Um, the year and Stuff that's happened within the year. Just well, it's like a week we, and a half left. Can we just end it all? Twenty twenty. Can we just you know? Can we can we just agree that it stops now? Like just 
after this episode's put up, it's like, oh, you know what? We're skipping those few days and we're just going to go straight into 2021. Mm. Here we go. Uh, so you can follow us on those social medias, Facebook, Twitter. We post on there. We always have fun things. Uh, you can email us at spitandpolished at gmail.com and uh, rate and review us on whatever podcatcher allows it. That would be the greatest Christmas gift of them all. Mm-hmm. Every time a podcast gets a review, the podcasters get wings. That's the rules. Yeah. Oh, on on YouTube when you subscribe, they also they always say to click the bell. Like click the bell, bell, wings, subscribe. Yay! Oh, um, Bartek. And every time you comment that it's just two idiots talking, we cry. We and if you're and if you're so comish, comment. I like these two Polish guys. You're Bartek's mum. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs>